0: Now, join a live Bible study from St. Paul's Lutheran Church in DePere, Missouri. In chapter 10 of Ezekiel, the presence leaves the temple of God. And of course, the temple was destroyed, and the presence left. Chapter 10 is about the presence leaving the temple. That presence, that pillar of cloud, would never come back, even when they came out of captivity and rebuilt the temple. But then the prophecy says, and suddenly the Lord will come to his temple. Because there was not going to be any more pillar of cloud, the Lord himself was going to come to his temple. And that prophecy was fulfilled when the baby Jesus was brought, was brought for circumcision. The Lord suddenly came to the temple. No more pillar of cloud. The Lord himself, who had taken on human flesh, now was in the temple. So chapter 10 is important from that point. By the time we get to chapter 37, Ezekiel is talking about the restoration of Israel that they would leave captivity, that they would be restored. And so 37, Ezekiel sees another vision. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley it was full of bones. Now, the one thing we don't know is, did the Holy Spirit actually move him bodily, or did the Holy Spirit work so he saw this in his mind? We don't know. We, we can't answer that question. and he led me around among them and behold there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold they were very dry. When you conquered another nation in those days if you really wanted to disgrace them you didn't bury the bodies. You left the bodies on the ground to rot. That's the imagery here, okay? That's the imagery here. And he said to me, now this is the Spirit of the Lord, and he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Well, you know, the immediate answer is, no, what's wrong with you? But you don't say that to God. Okay, you don't say that to God, so he says, O Lord God, you know. Proper deference, he's speaking with the Almighty. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover with you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So, the Lord doesn't tell them to live, the Lord tells Ezekiel, you prophesy to these bones for them to live. So, you have a frail, human, sinful prophet who is now speaking for God, for the divine omnipotence of God, to make the impossible happen. And Ezekiel is to be that prophet. So, verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. There was no life yet. This passage is very much reflective of Genesis chapter 2. When God says he formed Adam of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, that's the parallel here. So until God breathes, and God gives life, there is none. If you want to look up something fine, look, uh, look up every time God breathed in the Bible and see what happened every time. He only breathed four times. <laughs> but every time, he gives life. He breathed upon the uh, Adam and he became a living being. He breathed upon these dry bones, became life. He breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That gave them life. And it says in Timothy, and the scriptures are inspired by God, and the word inspired means God breathed, and the scriptures give life. Anytime God's breathes, it gives life. So there's no breath in them. So as I say, this is paralleling um, Genesis. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people and I will bring you into the land of Israel." This is the restoration. These dry bones at this point are representing the nation Israel that had been carried off into Babylon. They didn't have any hope. They thought they were as good as dead. And now says, God says, I'm going to pick you up, I'm going to give you life, and you're going to go home to Israel. He's going to restore them. He's going to literally bring them back from the dead. Okay? Bring them back from the dead. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then shall, you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Now here comes the other application for this passage. And that is, at the end of time, when Jesus comes again, all these people are going to have died and are buried. This has application for the fact that he's going to make them alive and they're going to live again. In other words, they're going to inherit eternal life. Um, We see parallels with this of Jesus' talk with Nicodemus. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Every human being is like these dry bones, and God's the only one that can breathe into them and give them life. That happens at our baptism, okay? That's when we're first made alive. Uh, We're born of the, not of flesh, but of spirit, okay? Of spirit. Titus talks about this uh, in chapter 3. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Okay? So in other words, this valley of dry bones has tremendous meaning for the children of Israel. He's going to make them alive, and they're going to get to go home to their land. But we have to take this further. There's going to come a day when God's going to make us alive happens first at our baptism, but it also happens when he comes again and our dead bodies are raised and they will be like his glorious body and we will live forever. And it's an action of the Spirit of God. You will live and I will place you in your land. That's not Israel, that's the promised land, heaven so this had tremendous meaning for the children of israel but it also has tremendous meaning for us we were dry dead bones in this world and god is the one who has made us alive through baptism and even if we die before he comes will make us alive physically again and there will be the church triumphant on the day of his coming. This is pointing already to the final resurrection when Jesus comes again and makes us alive. All right, so it's chosen for Pentecost because what is the work of the Spirit to make alive? We were dead in trespasses and sin, Jesus Christ died for us, but we can't have faith in Christ without the Holy Spirit. So the action of the Holy Spirit taking the dead and making them alive is why this passage is chosen for Pentecost. Okay? Questions about this one? Now there's a second half to this chapter that talks even further about this exceedingly great army, but this is the reading for the day. And I've tried to get Mr. Bender to sing them bones, them bones, them dry bones, but he won't do it. I don't know why. Okay. not in the hymnal okay all right anything yes yes we are oh yeah we are and the thing that's real odd it's in Hebrew and in Greek the word for spirit is the same word used for breath and wind. So that when Jesus says the wind blows where it may, and we don't know from where it comes or any of that. it's talking about the spirit, the ruach, okay? So at times it's You have to look at the context to see, what are we talking about here? Wind, spirit, breath. But in these passages, it's very clear, it's synonymous. Okay. It's synonymous. Yes. You mean when we go to heaven? When he comes again... We certainly don't know what heaven's going to be like. We know it's going to last forever, and we know we're going to be perfectly happy. It's pretty much explained that anytime you're in the presence of God and see His face, you are perfectly happy. What we do, I don't know, it talks about a banquet, okay? Uh, that he prepares for us, but we don't have details. I always tell the kids, the best thing to think about heaven is, think about everything that would make you perfectly happy every day, forever. That's heaven. Okay? That's heaven. Yes. They were, they would not have seen that. They thought of themselves as the dead people because they were trapped in Babylon. And when he says, your land, it means Israel. But, we can see in this a further foreshadowing of things to come. That this this is also a picture of the people of God, even today, who are made alive and will live forever in the land of heaven. Okay, so it's a foreshadowing. All right, anything else? The army that with, with the army. Us? Right now? Christians? Yes. We are, we are the army of God right now. In the church militant, the church that is still fighting against Satan and evil. It's just the world can't see this mighty army right now. On the last day, they will see it. It will be the church triumphant. And God will make it clear that his people were his army in this world. So you're an army whether you know it or not, okay? God's army. Other things. It's just, it's going to be made public who the people of God are. And at that point, we will know the people that were fighting Satan and evil as God's people in this world. All right, Acts 2. Now, you've read Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Okay, the day of Pentecost. Fifty days after the Sabbath, the Passover Sabbath, they celebrated the Feast of Weeks seven weeks the day of pentecost it was a high and holy festival and jews from all over would make a pilgrimage to jerusalem so that there were jews from all over the world the known world in jerusalem for the feast of weeks okay Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. The manifestation of the Spirit was indescribable. It was tongues of fire because they would be speaking the word... And it is by the word of God that faith is created in the hearts of people. So that's why they're tongues of fire. Now, the whole assembly didn't see this. This happened in a house, okay? And the people that were gathered, the believers, received them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance." Okay. Other tongues. Are we talking about ecstatic tongues, such as Corinthians, speaking in tongues? Or are we talking about languages? It certainly seems here it is languages. Okay? Ecstatic tongues, you would have to have interpreters. We hear of none of that. Okay? We hear of none of that. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? They should be speaking either Greek or Aramaic, not all these other languages. In other words, they're saying all these uneducated men who were fishermen are suddenly speaking in other languages. Okay. Galileans. And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Okay, so they were hearing the disciples speak in different languages. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygian, and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. This was God's plan. How long would it have taken 12 disciples to get to all these places? He's not going to do it that way. He brings them all to one place. They hear the gospel and they all take it home. That's why when Paul and some of the other disciples get to certain regions, the gospel's already there. Because of Pentecost. So it's God's way of getting the gospel out fast. They all hear it in their own languages. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Okay? They're drunk. Okay? They're drunk. But that still doesn't explain how they can speak different languages. Doesn't say anything about slurred words. Okay? But this is when Peter's sermon begins. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Okay, this is Peter's speech. Now, what we're going to notice about Peter's speech is a matter of ten days before Jesus had ascended into heaven, and the disciples were still wondering what in the world this meant for them. In fact, in John 21, we know that a bunch of them just went back to fishing. They were uncertain. They didn't understand all that Jesus had done and said. They understood very little. But the Holy Spirit came upon Peter. And what we're going to see here is that the Apostle Peter now has a complete understanding of what Jesus Christ did. And not only what he had visually seen with his eyes, he actually begins to quote the Old Testament and show how Jesus had fulfilled the Old Testament. So we can see the impact of the Holy Spirit upon these people. They went from very little understanding, knowing the basics only, to understanding the scriptures, including the Old Testament. So it is a remarkable transformation that we see that goes on here. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. The third hour for a Jew is 9 a.m. Okay? But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now he begins with this prophecy. And in the last days it shall be, God declares... "...that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your ma- young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams." In other words, he is saying that the event has occurred today that fulfills the prophecy of Joel. He is now applying the Old Testament to what has occurred. They're going to have, be able to prophesy because of the gift of the Spirit. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit and they shall prophesy. We're all those servants. Jesus has poured out his Spirit upon every Christian, and every Christian is to prophesy. Prophesy does not mean tell the future. That's not what the word means. It means to speak the word of God. To speak the word of God. So we are to speak the word of God. What are we to speak? The gospel. That Jesus Christ did come into this world. He was crucified. He died and he rose again on the third day. And because of that, we have forgiveness in life. That's what we are to prophesy. It's not just for pastors to do. It's our all-male and female servants. That's all Christians, okay? And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. This started with Jesus. This started with Jesus because he did signs on the earth. The kingdom of God had come in the person of Jesus Christ. The greatest miracle is the transformation of a person from being an unbeliever to a believer. So he's going to show himself blood and fire and vapor of smoke. We got that, we got volcanoes. Okay that cannot be controlled, and what does it breed in the world? Fear. Now geologists are saying the whole Pacific Rim could erupt, okay? Well, if it does, we know why, but the rest of the world doesn't. blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. This is a reference to the end of time and Jesus' second coming. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, the last day, when Jesus comes again. So so Peter has taken us and said, okay, today is the day where God has poured out His Spirit, and He's going to continue to do so, and He's going to continue to perform wonders and signs, and we're going to have these natural disasters, changes in nature, and then Jesus is going to come again. So He sketched the whole thing. Peter, before Pentecost, didn't have a clue And now he's explaining the New Testament age and what's going to happen. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everybody that believes in Jesus Christ. Now, this is not the end of his sermon. It goes on for some time. There are many more parts. And he begins to explain more about... Uh, how Jesus Christ uh, fulfilled the prophecies in the Old Testament and uh, rose from the dead. So this goes on for some time. We may read more of that sermon uh, in in the future. But that was the the beginning of the Sermon of St. Peter. And it was only made possible because the Holy Spirit came upon Peter that day. Otherwise, he could have never given such an eloquent sermon. If I can find it right quick, we'll read a little more of it. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then he quotes Old Testament passages of how Jesus would rise from the dead. Okay? So it's quite an eloquent, eloquent sermon by the fisherman. Okay? Made possible by the Holy Spirit. All right, anything about this one? Yes? Did the people hearing this ever figure out where it was coming from? Or did they just... Well, I'm sure some of them did, those that came to faith and believed, but those who were mocking it and refused and rejected the message, they would not have known. Yeah. When it comes to being destroyed by fire, or, earth, I think of all these uh, rockets and everything that we're having and how this. Has been distrib- in many places. And if God is willing, will He use that? Yeah, the question is if God is willing, is He going to use all the man made things like nuclear bombs and rockets to destroy the earth by fire? He certainly could. Or it could be mass volcanic eruptions. We don't know how God is going to do this, but he can do it any way he wants, including use the sinfulness of man to do it. Yeah. Other things? All right, let's go to the last one. But when the Helper comes, that's the Spirit whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. You are looking at the passage that is the basis in the Nicene Creed uh, the fact that the P- Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. It says he proceeds from the Father, but it also sends, says, I, the Son who is speaking, will send to you from the flesh. Okay, in the flesh. So what he's saying is the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. This was a huge debate in ancient times. The Western Church adopted the phrase, he proceeds from the Father and the Son. Filioque and the Son. The Eastern Church says no, proceeds only from the Father. Okay, So that was, a, that was an early difference in the Eastern Orthodox churches and the Western church in Rome. But we confess he proceeds from the Father and the Son based on this passage. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now notice what it says the job of the Spirit is. He will bear witness about me. And that's where people really mess this up. If we read all the passages that Jesus tells us about the coming of the Spirit, it makes it very clear, very clear, that the Spirit is sent for the primary purpose of speaking and witnessing to Jesus Christ. Not about himself, but to point people to Jesus Christ. Where this gets messed up is in church bodies that make the Holy Spirit as important or more important than Jesus Christ. And many of those church bodies teach that you have to speak in tongues or you're not saved. Okay? That's the ultimate teaching. When you put the Spirit as more important than Jesus, then the gifts of the Spirit become more important than anything else. And it gets all messed up. Right here. It says the Spirit's task is to bear witness to Jesus Christ. First and foremost, everything else serves that. Okay? Everything else serves that. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to him who sent me, okay? And none of you asked me, where are you going? Well, he's referring to the ascension. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you but if I go, I will send him to you." In other words, what he's saying, it is more advantageous to the apostles that he leave and the Spirit comes than for him to stay. That's basically what it's saying. It's to your advantage because he's gonna work in the hearts of people, every person. That's His work. It is to our advantage that the Spirit has come, because the Spirit comes to us through Word, tongues of fire, through baptism, to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, His task. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay? Those three. Now let's look at how he describes them concerning sin because they do not believe in me. That's unrighteousness. With the coming, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, there is now only one unforgivable sin. And it's to refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world, okay, concerning sin. And what is the only sin that is mentioned? They do not believe in me. All other sins are forgivable. But by refusing to believe, all sins stand against us. So the testimony of the Holy Spirit is to tell the world, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And you shall be saved. And the only sin you have to be concerned with is if you refuse to believe in him. So concerning sin. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. What's this referring to? He's the perfect, righteous, holy one. He goes to the Father for us. He has performed the work God sent him to do if jesus christ had not been an acceptable sacrifice to god god would not have raised him from the dead it's pure and simple as that he was so he's perfectly righteous and he goes to the father and because he goes to the father you can come to the father You can. You are now righteous. Jesus Christ was righteous. Now you are righteous. So the Holy Spirit will teach us concerning righteousness. Number 11. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The Spirit will bear testimony that the evil Satan is defeated, he's been judged, therefore you will not be judged. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So concerning sin, judgment, and righteousness, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. It's kind of like overload, you know. You can only grasp so much so so fast. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. Now here we go back again. You can exalt the spirit above Christ and the Father. Because he doesn't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, his primary task is to preach the gospel and to see to it that people hear the gospel and come to faith. It's like the dry bones. See, we're back. We've come full circle. The Spirit's work in the New Testament church is to make people alive who are dead. Who are dead in sin. To make people alive. He will glorify me. Never says the Spirit will glorify Himself. Okay. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Okay? Declare it to you. So he's trying to describe for us how it's to our advantage that the Spirit has come to convince us that Satan has been judged. We see that in Revelation chapter 12. Um, A lot of people believe that uh, when, when Satan first sinned, back in Genesis that God threw him out of heaven. That is not the case, and the best testimony to that is the book of Job, where Satan still has uh, opportunities to speak directly with God in the heavenly court. When Satan is definitively judged is in Revelation chapter twelve. And it is when Jesus Christ ascends back to heaven, there is no longer a place for Satan in heaven. He has been defeated. The angel Michael and the angels cast Satan out of heaven once and for all in Revelation 12. Okay? And then it says, woe to the earth, because he's come down to you. But his time is short. So the teaching is, Satan has been thrown to earth and tries to disrupt the kingdom of God, but his time is short. Jesus is coming back to put an ultimate end to it. But Revelation 12 is where we truly... Uh, see that Satan is judged for good. And when did it happen? When Jesus Christ completed his work and went back to heaven and was put on the right hand of God and Satan was thrown out of heaven. All right, anything about this lesson? Yes. That's correct. Yeah, it's not meant to do that. It is describing the functions of the Trinity. So we usually talk about the Father and creation, and we usually talk about the Son redemption, and we usually talk about the Spirit sanctification. We're not saying the Spirit is inferior. All we're saying is it is the Spirit's task to point to Christ. Okay? Not that he's inferior, but it's the Spirit's task to point to Christ. He's been sent by the Father and the Son to point to Jesus Christ in this world. But not inferior. Yes? Was he existing uh, in the Old Testament? Absolutely, the Spirit was existent in the Old Testament. the spirit moved across the face of the waters? Genesis one two. He's always been here. Always been here. Yep. All right, anything else? So the next week's the Holy Trinity. I'm glad I'm not teaching that one. I'm gonna I am going i got to preach on it, so Next week, in, let's see, in two weeks we get to confess the Athanasian Creed, which is both eternal and incomprehensible, <laughs> just like God. Okay? Yes? Did the Holy Spirit work in bringing faith to the uh, Old Testament? People? Absolutely. He did. He did. He certainly did. It's just he was never poured out before, like he was on Pentecost. But he was here, and he was working in the hearts of men. Yeah. Through the Word. All right, let's close. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.